If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Welcome to Ghosts and Grit. Hey, welcome back to Ghosts and Grit. On this episode, Katrina and I do a breakdown of our investigation of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. This might have been my favorite investigation of season one. Uh, We had some pretty profound stuff happen, and really, out of the five days we were there, what happened in the bedpost murder room was really the bulk of the episode because it was just so intense. So, uh, yeah. Hope you enjoy. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like and subscribe button. If you're watching on Rumble, make sure you follow. Hey, how's it going? It's Jack Osborne here, and I am joined by none other than... Katrina Weidman. Yep, yep. So (laughs) Katrina is here, and we are discussing another episode of Portals to Hell. Um, But before we get into that, Katrina, what's been going on? How you doing? How's your your vibes? My vibes are good. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Just missing on my pup. Yep. Yeah. How's Batman doing? Batman's good. Uh, so everyone knows my dog name is Batman. <laughs> <laughs> it always gets a little awkward when people don't know, and I'm like screaming in the neighborhood, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Someone shines a light in the sky, and then he just shows up. <laughs> that would be awesome, actually. Right? Yeah. Um, I love him so much. <laughs> so. I know Batman's had a bit of a health uh, ups and downs over the last couple of years. He how's has. how's he holding up? He's um. So actually, he just had a checkup today um so every this year it's every three months we go to get x-rays um starting in october we'll do every four months for checkups um but he oh, i don't think i told you this he was on 60 minutes what did i tell you this no okay yeah yeah my dog my father-in-law said to my husband, he's like, you're really slacking. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, your wife is on TV, your dog's on TV. <laughs> um, so he, basically my dog's story was, he got cancer before he was one, right? So, and it's like right when you and I started working together, yeah. it was so freaking heartbreaking and sad because even with treatment, their prognosis is a year. Mm-hmm. And what he kind was of cancer is months. it? It's bone cancer. Oof. So osteosarcoma. Um, we were so fortunate where we live uh, close to Penn University. And they're like the number four vet school in the world. Oh, wow. And uh, my cousin is a graduate from there. And so is his wife. And then we were connected. So we were connected to them. And then we ended up being connected to um, another woman whose dog had the same type of cancer, had a treatment at Penn, and ended up living six years. Hmm. So we were like, what did you do? And there was a doctor at Penn. Uh, her name is Dr. Nicola, Mace, Dr. Nicola Mason. And Dr. Mason made this vaccine out of the Listeria virus okay. to treat cancer. And the hope was, this is crazy, uh, bone cancer in dogs is similar to bone cancer in children. Huh. Yeah. Who would have thunk it? Yeah. So uh, she made this vaccine with the hopes of if it did well in dogs, then maybe we can use it in children. And so uh, we enrolled Batman in the study and knock on wood, he's five. 
and um, he'll be six this fall. And as far as I my, I just talked to my husband and uh, initial x-rays look good. And um, so <laughs> the reason he was on 60 Minutes was we got a call last summer and they were like, they're doing this whole segment on Dr. Nicola Mason and her study with the dogs because the dogs did so well that they just put it into the first child. Oh, wow. Yep. Amazing. It's incredible. Um, didn't Batman lose a leg, though, through the he process? He did, yeah. We had to amputate his leg. And then isn't it, didn't he have something with his eye, or am I imagining Oh, that? no, he had his, so we've had three surgeries. Um, we had to amputate his back leg when he was a puppy, mm-hmm. then a toe, and then we had to take a lung. You had to take a lung? We had to take a lung lobe, yeah. Holy but shit. But what's crazy is dogs can lose 50% of their lungs and not be impacted. Huh. Yeah. So they have like six or seven lung lobes and we had to take one. Did the cancer attack his lung? They saw a spot and they it was in a and it was in a spot where they couldn't do a biopsy. So the only way that we would know for sure was if we did the surgery. And so we were in a position of we know his past history. Mm-hmm. Let's just take it to be, you know, as a precaution. Wow. So we ended up taking it. They did the biopsy and it was cancer. So Holy shit. Yeah. So now he's on, we do a lot of um, integrative medicine for him and he's, he takes mistletoe injections now okay. because they've used mistletoe in Europe for years to fight cancer. Huh. So we like Monday, Wednesday and Friday, we give him a mistletoe injection. It's just straight mistletoe. Straight There's nothing mistletoe. else in it. Uh-uh. That's fascinating. Isn't that wild? Wow. We've learned so much Do about Do you hold the injection over his head and kiss him? <laughs> no, my husband does it because I can't do needles. <laughs> oh. Okay. And so my husband is like, I'll do it. And so those mornings, Batman, he's like, and he's like, he does not want it. And it takes two seconds and then he's fine. Just like in into muscular or is it like, in oh, his neck. oh, you grab the little the subcutane thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Batman's a champ. He is such a champ. He is like the sweetest dog. And he's, he thinks he's a lap dog. He's 65 pounds. And he's like, I'm just a baby. <laughs> well, if you want, you can come over and hang out with my three knucklehead dogs. I was going to ask about Doug. Doug. How is Doug? Doug is fucking great. Yeah. He's a total dumbass, but he's amazing. <laughs> he's big. So Doug is my golden retriever that I um, ended up uh, coming into my life uh, very kind of in a tragic way. A best uh, One of my oldest friends passed away um, during COVID, during lockdown. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, de- my friend who, who passed away was dealing with some mental health stuff and no one really was there to kind of mm. clean up after, you know, he passed and I, I took his dog. So, yeah. So, um, or I was kind of, I was the only person available to have the dog. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Doug is, uh, he's this big old golden retriever who I'm, I call him a Dougalophagus because he's kind of <laughs> like he's like he's like Snuffleupagus from uh, you know Sesame Street, and but he's kind of part hippopotamus too. He's <laughs> if there's a if there's a body of water and, oh. he, and he's not on a leash, he is in the water. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah, it's the weird. Like it, I'll just if he's in the backyard and the pool, you know, in, in the summer or whatever, I'll just go outside and I'll just see him sat in the pool, like, <laughs> just drink as he's swimming. He's drinking it. Like, <laughs> He's kind of dumb, but he's great. Um, and then I have Finn uh, and Ruby. Uh, Finn is Ruby's puppy. Aww. Yeah. How Ru- old is Finn now? Finn's three. He'll be he'll be three. Yeah, nearly three. Um, yeah, Ruby, uh, my Australian shepherd, is a bit of a floozy. <laughs> she, you know, had a one night stand with uh, a dog that used to be my sister's dog, 
who is a Pomsky. So Finn is an Australian Shepherd Pomsky mix. Aren't pom- are Pomskys little? You can get bigger breeds. Okay. Because if you have a larger Pomeranian and a larger and like a smaller Husky, you kind of have like a medium size Pomsky. Okay. So how big is Finn? Finn's he's like the same size as an Australian Shepherd. Oh, like he's okay. He's a totally big. You know, big dog. He's he's so sweet. He's very sensitive. Oh, he's a very sensitive boy. Yeah. Yeah. He feel he feels a lot of feelings. <laughs> you know, he's that dog that kind of you you look at wrong and his you know his ears sweep back behind his head and he Aww. just is like looks like a sea otter. Poor baby. Yeah. I love dogs. That's part of that's one of my whys. Like one of my whys of like you know how you're supposed to have a why to be successful. Mm-hmm. It was one of them because I just want I want all the dogs. It's good. We like dogs. Dogs are great. Mm. Yeah. Um. Well, Batman, if you're listening, <laughs> mommy misses you. I miss him so much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> should we uh, should we dive into this episode? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we are going to go into the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in uh, Weston, West Virginia. Um, this episode uh, was a lot. Trans-Allegheny is always kind of a lot. Yeah. Because you have so much history. You have a lot of paranormal activity, but then you also have the heavy burden of just horrible fucking stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and just a bit of weird facts of this place. And we talk about in the episode, uh, the asylum is built on uh, a property that's 666 acres and there's 13 buildings. Yeah, another big no-no <laughs> if you yeah. if you don't want a haunted property. <laughs> so don't smash ancient sarcophaguses. Yep. And don't build on 666 acres. Yeah, and 13 buildings on 666 acres. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's uh, what a weird coincidence. I know. It almost makes me wonder, though. You know how in Ghostbusters... The building that Deanna lived in was yes. built purposely yes. to like control paranormal activity. Yeah. It almost makes me wonder if somebody was like, this is how we do it. Yeah. Was it? No, that wasn't Vigo the Carpathian that built the building. Who was it that built the building? It was some occultist. Uh, oh, yeah. I forget the name. Um, did you, speaking of Ghostbusters, the, the, the one that just came out was, did you watch it? The newer Ghostbusters. Oh yeah, I it, I cried. It was great. I did cry. It, like yeah, that had feelings. Yeah, the the kids were great. Kids I thought were they were awesome. all great. I loved it. I loved that it wasn't trying to do what every now kind of sequel does, where they just remake the original. Mm. Like it was a it was a unique enough story. Yeah. Well, they're coming out with a second one. Oh, good. Yeah. So I'm excited to see that and where they go with it. Yeah. It was sad though with they didn't have their buddy. I know. I know. I was. What? Yeah, it this was. Guy. Yeah, it was. It was tough. But they they had him in ghost form. I know. <laughs> which felt weird, but you know, <laughs> I'll 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 accept it. I was, I was a diehard Ghostbusters. Ironically, like I there's pictures of me always wearing a Ghostbuster uniform with like a proton pack on. So cute. Who yeah. were you? Um, I used to like. I went through phases. I liked Ray. Oh yeah, right. Li- I liked Egon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of between Ray and Egon. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so either the super diehard paranormal guy or the scientist. Yes. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it influenced you to do this? I think that it between Ghostbusters and X Files, it, <laughs> it planted enough of a seed. Yeah. To be like, hey, there's this whole genre out there that, you know, 
is kind of cool. Like, go check it out. Isn't that funny how influential, like, these television shows and movies can be for people? Totally. And how I just feel so lucky that, like, somehow fucking managed to make a career out of it. <laughs> like, I mean, you want to call it a career, but, like, yeah, yeah. I've been able to, you know, earn some kind of livable, you know, income doing it. It's really funny. I just got called for a jury duty mm-hmm. recently. And I wonder if I should actually say this publicly because the government will come for me or some shit. But they were like, what's your occupation? I'm like, big bold letters, ghost hunter. <laughs> and they're like, what are you currently reading? I'm like, spell books, <laughs> which is also true. <laughs> and then I get a letter being like, your services are no longer required. <laughs> I'm like, figured. <laughs> figured like, that would happen. <laughs> this case calls for a witch on the jury. <laughs> you should be, you, imagine you get picked for that, ju- that, that jury panel and you're like, can we drown the victim and if they float, they're innocent? <laughs> I am in Pennsylvania, so right. maybe. There you go. That would be, yeah, I mean, damn. That is so, that is so much better back in the day. Very easy system. Yeah. Jury duty. Like, I, I do listen to an awful lot of uh, crime podcasts and oh, yeah. I do watch a lot of true crime yes. documentaries. I love a bit of murder porn. <laughs> as, as dark as that is, I love me some murder porn. Yeah. Um, like, yes, I was listening to a Sword and Scale. You ever listen to Sword and Scale? No. Oh, it's the best. What is it true crime? True crime podcast. It's my favorite by far. Just the way they, they're really great at how they tell story and it they, the, how they do it changes all the time. Mm. They don't have a format they stick to. Oh, cool. The way that, and it's, it's really... It's really unique. Like sometimes they'll start the podcast with letting you know who who the murderer is or who the victim is and you kind of work your way backwards or, you know, it's just, it's great. Their storytelling ability is is spot on. So I, I subscribe to them and I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Sword and Scale Plus member. It's, it's funny because I think that was one of the things you and I connected on too. When yeah. we first met, we talked a lot about true crime. Yep. Um, I kind of, once the pandemic started, I stopped reading, stopped watching anything related to true crime oh really yeah because i think it was the world was so heavy yeah and i honestly like mentally i struggled big time during the pandemic as i'm sure a lot of people did um but i felt like i could barely get out of bed most days so i was like i don't know that true crime is going to make me feel better so it was a (laughs) lot of perfect strangers and like (laughs) you know balky doing his dance and yeah all that stuff yeah that was i mean it's funny i was thinking i was going through pictures because i was trying to find um, cause I've been, I've been doing jujitsu now for a few years and I oh, couldn't, yeah. and I couldn't remember when I started it because, mm. and that, and, and I think the reason I can't remember is because I started it over pandemic, but it was so fucking long and drawn out. I don't have really have a frame of reference. It's, yeah. It's, it's kind of like a, those couple years for me just really blended together in a very strange way to where a lot happened, but I have a hard time being able to track it. It's like uh, a little, well, it's like a portal. It is. And uh, yeah, it feels like we almost went through a little bit of a time warp. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I like true crime, not not necessarily for the gruesome aspects of it or anything like that. I just find human psychology mm-hmm. fascinating. And so it's that's what I tend to gravitate towards. Like, yeah. What the hell went through somebody's mind? What was what was that like? And not that I want to experience that, but just like on a in like academic level, almost. Yeah. What what happens? Do you? Here's a here's a morbid question, right? Do you ever do you ever sit there and like 
when you're listening to these podcasts, do you ever try and put yourself in the mind of some of these people? Because like, and go like, I wonder where, where did the snap happen to mm. where they went? Killing someone's a good solution to what yeah. I have going on right now. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I think especially, you know what's weird? So it's different when you become an adult because I think once you hit your 30s, you start realizing some of these killers are in their 30s. Mm-hmm. And I'm always, it's like the same thing when I see somebody like super successful. I'm like, how? Because I can barely do, like keep up with my laundry. <laughs> how are you doing this? You know, and so it's like the same thing with somebody who snaps or somebody who's a serial killer. I'm like, you're my age. How in the world is your brain? Like I have a hard time wrapping my head around. Yep. I'm like, we grew up with the same stuff, like but, same cartoons. But How? think about that. We all knew that fucking weird kid in grade school. Who <laughs> like now in hindsight, you're like, well, maybe they're out there fucking, you know, yeah. eating soup out of someone's skull. <laughs> it is the best way to consume <laughs> soup, by the way. <laughs> um, did you know anybody that turned out to be? Um, I'm trying to think if I knew anyone that, without, I should say, with, you know, uh, Ill- illegally killed people. I have a lot of friends who were in like special operations. Oh, and okay. They, they, they possibly <laughs> could be just legal serial killers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, listen, I've been I've been in recovery for a long time, and yeah. so like, you meet a lot of very interesting and and you know interesting people who've got very colorful pasts, mm. uh, and so some of them I'm sure have uh, maybe done some things. Um. Should we dive back into Trans Allegheny? <laughs> we were just talking about this before we recorded, but that hotel we stayed at was surprisingly nice. It was so nice. And we were there around the holidays. Yep. So they had like Christmas cookies out and mm-hmm. they had a period clothed like choir come and sing Christmas carols. Yes, and <laughs> yes they did. It was so cute. It. We always end up filming this show in like late summer, early fall all the way through winter so yeah. like it's it's i tell you what it's always the toughest because budding right up against christmas yeah yeah which is like my favorite holiday yeah i have a hard time getting into the christmas spirit because i'm traveling so much yeah. it's so tough getting christmas gifts because we're just you know every every week we're going somewhere else um it's a, it's a real pain in the butt it is a pain in the butt sometimes i wonder why we don't film like spring to early fall because the nights are short we need it's it we does, need the dark we need the dark production i know womp, womp. <laughs> um, well what did you think this was your first time at trans allegheny had you heard anything about it beforehand um i had not I, okay so the only time i'd ever seen anything about trans allegheny was when you went with lockdown oh yeah and i remember um seeing the clip of the the creeper was it the creeper or the, the crawler? creeper we called it the creeper. Do you want to dive into that? Yeah. So that was my, so I, when I worked on lockdown, um, we went for the show. I think it was season one and, um, I had never been there before. Always heard about it. Always wanted to go. Nick had. So we went and it was, uh, I remember actually I slept there's so fun fact about trans Allegheny. There's only like three places that have heat (laughs) and (laughs) like portals. We were shooting in the fall winter 
And I remember I slept, like we had some downtime in between like an interview and I was so tired that I took my sleeping bag and slept on the bathroom floor next to the heater because it was so freaking cold. Oof. So yeah, maybe that's the worst place I've ever slept, the bathroom floor. <laughs> like, uh, did you at least like hit it with some Clorox? I didn't give a shit at that point. I was so tired and cold. <laughs> I was you just like, literally I didn't give a care. shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but we went and I remember uh, there's actually the room that we went into, the murder room with Dean. Uh, uh, where he was murdered by the yep. two other uh, patients. I slept in that room one night. And I, re- I remember waking up to hearing squeaky shoes walking down the hallway. And I thought it was Nick coming to get me. And I was this, and I need sleep. This He did not. He never needed sleep. So I was like annoyed. <laughs> I was like, God damn it. I just want to like get some good sleep, you know. And I hear these squeaky shoes coming and I'm waiting for him to come in. He's not there. It's like, hmm. where, where is he? So, and then I get out of my cot and he never got up. He was still all the way on the other side of the building. Um, and so it was, I think our last night investigating and we were up on the fourth floor to, if you're looking at the building, it's on the right side of the building. And we, in, in the episode, it makes it look like we're there for like, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. We were there for hours because we all viscerally felt like something was wrong. And, uh, you know, Nick was getting anxiety. Rob, who was our director, DP, producer, he did so much for that show. Um, He kept hearing footsteps rush up behind him. And he's insanely skeptical. And he's like, I, he kept, he's like, oh, somebody's coming up behind me. I kept seeing shadows, but we can never capture those things objectively. They were just happening. And then it culminated to Rob saying, guys, don't move, don't move. I'm seeing something on my camera. And we couldn't see it with our own eyes. Uh, We couldn't see it with our handheld cameras. There's nothing there. But Rob kept seeing it with his camera. Mm. What we did on lockdown was anytime we had something significant, we would play it back immediately. Because I think there's that thing of you guys added it in post was not added in post um so we played it back immediately and what we saw was um it was like it started out as a ball and then moved into something slithering yeah now when we were there that's all we saw when they got into post they we could see more and it it, uh, shifted again so it went from a ball to something crawling to something slithering out of the room. It is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. I don't know what it is. Um, And I remember Nick texted me and he sent me the clip. He's like, you have to see this. And we were both like, what is this? We've never seen anything like this. Um, I've gone over this in my head a million times because my fear is always somebody on production faked something and I don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm being played a fool. You know, that is my biggest fear. And um, when doing these shows, you know, and uh, as far as I know, it's not the case. I've talked to like all of the producers on that show. Um, and the one producer is like, so we hired a contortionist that you couldn't see, even though you were 10 feet away from it. <laughs> I'm like, I, I know, <laughs> like, good point. I'm like, but I don't know another explanation for this. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is, 
our other all of our other cameras did not pick this up. Rob's camera picked it up. And Rob, he's, again, not really into ghosts, but he's into cameras and he's into cinematography. And he is very meticulous about his work. And he wanted the show to look different mm-hmm. from every other show out there. So he worked with the camera company to change like the filters on his camera. And we got over the course of shooting that show at least five different figures that showed up only on his camera. Interesting. Yeah. Do you, okay, so you don't know what it is. No. You see this thing, you, you know, it's still to this day. What do you think you captured a spirit on camera? I don't know that I call it a spirit. We captured something. Do you think it some kind of interdimensional? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know. And I and there's still part of me that I'm like, did somebody set that up? Like, you know, because I'm just like, what is that? What yeah. makes sense for that? Um, I, I don't have an answer for it. What's been the most compelling evidence that you believe that there is some kind of intelligent energy, you know, existing amongst us? I don't want to put the label of, oh, you know, the it's spirit a of a human yeah. or whatever. But do you think that there is some conscious energy that, that you believe that it's a conscious energy that has an ability to interact? I think, um, hmm, there's a couple, Trans-Allegheny being one. Um, well, and actually I would say every time we caught a figure on camera, because there were, there were like five. Yeah. And, uh, and again, every single time we watched those back in real time, mm-hmm. right away. Um, and I would say the time it got scratched, because that was so significant. It was on my body. Like, nobody did that to me. I was there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I would say probably those. And um, there was another, you know what? I don't know if I ever told you this. There was another time we were investigating. This was for Paranormal State. We were at a place called the Knickerbocker Hotel. And it's halfway between Chicago and New York. Mm-hmm. So it's a stopping station. And I was up on the third floor with my coworker, Elfie. And um, we were, everybody else was like on a different floor. And the third floor was where servants stayed. And also I think where, I think it was like third class kind of travelers would be put up there. And we both felt like something was off. I had headphones on with a three, 360 degree mic that I was filtering everything through. And I hear this woman's voice clear as day, like as clear as you and I talking right now. And she says something. I was like, a da, 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 da. Same pattern of speech. I heard it like five times. Same thing every single time. Distinct and clear. But I could not make it out. It was almost like speaking backwards or in another language. And Elfie didn't hear it. I only heard it through the headphones. We have it recorded. But when we played it back, it was so much softer than what I had heard. Um, But it was the same thing. We find out through interviews uh, during our time there that the owner, um, her sister, she's like, whenever I go to that third floor, there's a woman who speaks to me, but it's like she's talking a different language. Mm. I can't put it together, but she says the same thing every single time. Holy shit. And I didn't know, we none of us knew yeah. about that experience. And you, and you heard it. Heard it. Yeah. In the same place that she says she hears it. It's wild. So I would say that one is also significant. That one stays with me. Yeah. 
feels residual though that feels Probably. Like, like a weird energy loop yeah but there's there's something to that yeah yeah and that's i mean that's what i always say yeah there's something to this you said in this episode of trans allegheny that this was the most significant experience or communication you've ever had with a ghost it, it to that point yes it absolutely was when we when we went up to the the we called it the bedpost murder room and that's where um you know this horrific murder had occurred between uh you know these two patients ganged up on a, another patient at the at the asylum and they essentially you know strangled you know they hung him to death and then, um, well, nearly to death, and then they stomped on a bed with the post resting against his head, and it, it killed him. Um, and we, I guess we'll back up. We had um, Michelle come through and do a psychic sweep, uh, Michelle Ballinger, and she uh, had a blindfold on, and the psychic sweep with her was, it was, my jaw was on the ground. I mean, <laughs> she was in a room, and she guessed the color of the paint on the wall of the room we were in with a full blindfold on. Mm -hmm. She said it was like a, a blue sort of, but it could be green, like a bluey, somewhere between a blue and a green, as yeah. she described it. And it was, I mean, the, the paint was flaking off the walls, but it was. We we take her into this room and she says, you know, well, there, is a, a, there is something here, there's some kind of spirit here and it'll communicate to you, but he's very childlike. And, and we know that the victim of this murder had significant disabilities to where he, you know, in life um, was described as kind of childlike. Um, and so when it came time to do a kind of REM pod session, we brought some toys and some candy and kind of laid them out on the floor. And and for like, what, easily 45 minutes, mm -hmm. we had a conversation using a REM pod. And what we took away from it was every time it beeped, that was for a confirmation of what you know it was like a, we were asking like yes or no questions um this session was so powerful um one of our producers jamie he was like getting choked up over it he because he was a skeptic going into working on this show and and he was like i can't believe i just saw that i forgot he got upset he was like crying yeah uh, between michelle's reading mm -hmm. and the rem pod session yeah he was really upset yeah it was um that was a, a really and and I got to say, like, for the most part, when we were going through Trans-Allegheny, I was going in knowing the stories that mm. you told me about, the, all the figures you captured on camera, and it's super fucking scary and intense, and it is. It's all of those. It's scary. It's intense. It's cold. It's huge. The size of that place, what is that? There's like, didn't, is it? five kilometers of hallways something like that uh, but i don't know kilometers yeah i don't know why i think i remember them telling me because each one was like a thousand feet or a uh, oh, okay. thousand meters um and uh i mean it's it's massive this yeah. building yeah and the stairs oh, oh mm. god the stairs my Never knees ending. hurt just like thinking of those stairs just cold sore knees yeah um and i just I went in being like, oh, this place is going to be like, it's going to be like Hellraiser. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it wasn't totally terrifying. And if anything, I think because of how, you know, the information we uncovered with this investigation, it was like, it was sad. Yeah. It was really, really sad. I mean, the stuff that went on in, you know, with procedures and the treatment of patients at Trans-Allegheny, it's, it's things of fucking nightmares. 
It's and it, it was so during certain times of our country, it was so easy to put somebody in there yeah. and for very little and with very little information. And um, my and it's funny, the lobotomy thing, my great aunt had a lobotomy. And uh, let me see, I think she was born in I want to say like 26, 1926. Wow. And when she was 13, so I don't like 39, 40, she had a lobotomy. And she was epileptic. Wow. Ep- epile- epileptic. Can- Thank you. And um, she, but my grandmother told me she was fine. Like great student, great girl, uh, social, like didn't really have any problems. But at that time they were recommending lobotomies. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother said she remembers her mother. So my great grandmother just sobbing over making that decision. She remembers her being upstairs sobbing because they had to decide, do we do this experimental thing to see if it helps or do we not? And you know, you're listening to the medical science of the day, of the time, and they were suggesting to do it. And so they did it and my grandmother told me that she remembers, there was like a a hole in her head the size of a baseball. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so they like removed part of her skull to. I guess so. I'm, I'm kind of unclear on that part. Yeah. But she was never the same after. She she needed help her whole life. And she was uh, she was uh, like a um, developmentally yeah. uh, disabled at that point. Wow. That's, yeah. that's terrible. I mean, but it's to that point, you know, it, doing such a deep dive into history when because invariably we do that. I mean, we go we when we're doing you know when we do these shows, we're we're reading and we have a whole team of researchers pulling up you know as much actual documentation as we can. You learn a lot about kind of how life was in whatever yeah. time period we're going to kind of investigate. And it has and as I know, I know it's probably not a, a popular thing to say in 2023, but like it even before the kind of COVID, you know pandemic kind of time where everyone was like you know when things got a little nuts with like what to believe what not to believe Mm. trust the science you know all this shit like in my mind i'm like there there was a whole slew of doctors back in the 1930s that were like this is the best thing this is this i'm like i'm so wary about you know trusting the kind of um I, I guess just trusting medical professionals. Well, and that's the thing that's so sad about Trans Allegheny because these people didn't have any autonomy. No. And so they were just subjected to these things yeah. as experiments almost. And because we didn't understand mental health. And I mean, look, we still have our challenges with understanding mental health. I don't, I think that goes without saying, you know, we're not there. Yeah. Wherever there is, we're not there yet. But, um, you know, I the hardest part I think about investigating asylums is is that part of it is that these were people who really needed help, and 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 it's also the people that work there. That's the saddest part to me is not like they all kind of get this bad rap, but it wasn't all of them. No, so many people got into that field to help because they care. Yeah, and it's just because of underfunding and overcrowding, and you know, bad apples slip in, and you don't have the resources that you need to be able to take care of the people, and it just inevitably it ends up like a Trans Allegheny or like a a Pennhurst or. 
any of those places. Yeah, yeah, so true. It's um, it is. I mean, it was just I just remember being really blown away by, you know, all the displays they had in there, the mm. documentation they had in there of of these you know, things we're describing. Um, the um, oh, remember the story when it didn't make the cut, but Michelle was talking about when she got there, she was blindfolded. She's like. I'm seeing an image of a woman in a car. Oh, yes. Being mm -hmm. dropped off here. She's crying. She doesn't want to be, because she didn't know where she was. Yeah. You know, Michelle, when she did the psychic sweep, all she knew was the, we tell them the airport they're flying into because it's on their ticket. Yeah. And that's it. We don't tell them the location. We don't tell them where they're staying. Nothing. So she had this image and she said it was just playing through like a movie because she saw this woman in a car who was screaming and crying getting dropped off and yanked out of the car and she didn't want to be there and and uh, you know she was essentially being held at the you know at the asylum uh unwillingly like and but she was dropped off there well it turns out that back in the day it used to be common practice for a husband had the ability to drop you know their wives off at the asylum if they were essentially sick of them. And all they had to say is, oh, she's crazy. Yeah. And or and and women would get institutionalized for having like PMS, mm -hmm. which is fucking nuts. It's <laughs> so crazy. It's like that it's is, I mean, that's just insane. Can you imagine? Yeah. Like, I, well, actually, I, I, back knowing what I know, yeah, I, I can back then. Like that's just seemed so, they were like, well, yeah, why? That that woman's crazy, see? <laughs> <laughs> Drop that filly off of the asylum. <laughs> They'll straighten her up. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, and I think that's... Um, was that your first asylum for ghost stuff? That was my first asylum, yes. Was it hard for you to be there? It was, actually. I I got very I got very sad there. And I, and I think I may have meant... It didn't make the cut, but I mentioned this to you. Like, I got... I got put in a mental health clinic when I was 17 years old mm. um, to get detox from drugs. Wow. Be yeah, and it was an adolescent psychiatric facility because at the time when I was getting sober, um, they couldn't, there was no adult facility. You couldn't detox a child in an adult facility for some legal reason. Mm. Um, so I had to be in an in a adolescent psychiatric ward. And I was there for about 10 days and there were kids there with the it was running the gambit from you know kids with significant kind of mental health like you know schizophrenia type stuff yeah. which is rare for you know uh for young for adolescents because usually schizophrenia doesn't kind of show until kind of late teens early 20s um there was you know suicide attempts there was um you know kids that were like crazy violent you know had violent disorder you know I don't even know what to describe it. They were just like violent kids. Yeah. Um, and so it was It was strange to kind of think like, well, you know, I've been in a, you know, in a mental health facility for, you know, 10 days and knowing what my experience was. And that was in 2003. Mm. And so fast forward at that point, what, 15 years um, to being, you know, a grown, you know, a man, you know, an adult with three kids and kind of walking through this place going like, wow, like this is probably the kind of place that I would have been sent when I was a teenager if yeah. I was alive back then. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you feel like it helped you connect more with whatever's left over there? I don't know. 
I, I don't, maybe subconsciously, you know, it, it was coming, my experience as a kid was coming up a lot for me during mm. the investigation, uh, especially when it was like looking at the cr arts and crafts stuff, because I was like, oh yeah, we did a lot of arts and crafts. And, oh, you know, right. and it was weird too, because I was in there for coming off of like opiates and benzos and alcohol. So it was like, I wasn't struggling with, you know, deep clinical depression or, mm. su you know, suicidal ideations or anything like that. Um, but it, uh, so it was kind of like I was in a weird, but yeah, I was clearly nuts because I was a, you know, pilled out drunk at mm. 17. <laughs> but the, um, it, it was, it was just strange. And just so, and knowing that back in the day, the treatment for alcoholics was you just send them to the psychiatric facility, you know, yeah. before, you know, before 12 step recovery kind of became a, uh, you know, a solution, a viable solution. That's, that's what they did. And it was, you went to the, you know, you went to a place, they got you off the alcohol and, you know, some people went crazy in the process and some people mm. came out okay and would drink again. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was different for sure versus going to like, you know, a, you know, an opera house or, a, yeah. you know, an old police station or whatever. Um, but yeah, Trans Allegheny for me, uh, had a profound impact for sure. To, to this day. Oh yeah. Because there were a lot of firsts for me there, you know, the, having that Rampart session, you know, having that kind, you know, Michelle just, I was like mind blown over that. Um, and also that, that place sticks out for the house, the size of it. Yeah. It's so massive. It's one of the, um, it's a Kirkbride building and Kirkbride, they, they thought part, part of the things that could help with mental health was making sure people had fresh air and sunshine. So they purposely made these buildings to kind of go out like bat wings almost. Yeah. So every patient could get the fresh air and the sunshine and all that stuff. And um, I mean, unfortunately, you know, we just had a, a huge need for care that it got overcrowded pretty quickly. So it disseminated the original idea you know, of making sure everybody has fresh air. They didn't work out. Um, yeah. But uh, the REM pod session, I remember doing that. And at this point, I was still skeptical because I'm like, I'm working with a new crew. Who are these people? And so REM pods, they emit their own electromagnetic field. And there are a lot of things that can break that field. So walkie talkies on a crew being the biggest. And I was very concerned. I'm like, is somebody keying their walkie mm -hmm. and making this happen? Um, but in Trans Allegheny, it's so massive. Those floors are very, very thick. The only crew member we were with was Scott. And at one point, we asked Scott to turn off his walkie just to, yeah. you know, rule that out. Um, what did you take away from the session? Um, I just, I just remember like picking my drawer up off the floor. <laughs> I was just like, wow. I mean, I, I was, I was shocked. And then, um, yeah, it just, it stayed, it's always stayed with me. Always. It, it, I, I think back to that moment a lot when investigating, cause I kind of compare, that's like my, my baseline, you know, I compare mm. a lot, uh, you know, anytime I've had, you know, REM pod sessions since then, I always compare it to that. Wow. Um, and then, but that wasn't, but that was a real, where we were was such a hot spot because that's where we captured the, the shadow moving through the laser grid, which mm. 
is I think, as far as I can recall, one of the only times I've ever actually had a laser grid work for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're not high. success rate isn't that big on them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they became like a real like hot button thing just because they're visual for TV. It was like, yeah, you use a laser grid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it looks cool on the TV box. <laughs> oh my god, it's so hard for television. Yeah, to find so that's why everything has a blinky light. Yep, <laughs> blinky light, and you know some doob dab with a name, and a you know it's just like a repurposed device from something else. Yeah, just, we'll throw light on it, and we'll call it the Ecto Five Thousand. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of ecto, have you ever come across ectoplasma? Plasm? Was it ectoplasma? Ectoplasma. Ectoplasm. Ectopla have you ever come across ectoplasm? I have not. Have you? No. Do you think it's a real thing or do you think it's just like no. <laughs> someone playing with some slime or I think well back in the day they were those photos they were faking it. Yeah. You know, so I think that's kind of where a lot of that idea started from. Um so I don't think it's a real phenomena. Did you ever watch that Netflix mini series about like the afterlife? Hmm. It, I forget what it was called, but Netflix did this like, it was like an attempt at like a, it was like a Netflix version of like a ghost show. And they had people sharing about near-death experiences and then they kind of went to this like psychic medium chick who like ran this thing in, in Europe. Mm -mm. I've never seen it. Was it recent? I watched it during the pandemic. Um, anyway, this woman who was like this medium... Who was, she also did channeling. It was the biggest fucking crock of shit I've oh, ever really? seen. And she would like vomit ectoplasm. What? It was insane. So you, you don't forget. buy it? <laughs> no, well, I just like, it. just for me, I'm like anyone with a remote rational mind can mm. watch this and see that this person is clearly a, a full-blown charlatan. Like yeah. she is taking money from people, convincing them that she's this profound you know channeler and she's channeling these you know spirits and and it, it was just f and when they recorded her channeling it was literally insane now i i believe in channeling mm -hmm. i you know one of my very best friends when his mother was alive she was a a, a kind of uh, a, she was a channeler and had a, a kind of cult following to her abilities but like it very underground mm. Um, and he's a total skeptic and he's like, man, the things that I, I saw my mother do and the information that came through to her and, and the, you know, what have you, like he, he felt like it was, it was very real. And the funny thing is I showed him that footage of my mom oh, from the ghost yeah. investigation. And he, he said to me that that's what his mother would do. So really? I would go back, she would go into this kind of trance like breathing and she would begin to channel. I'm telling you, your mom's probably more sensitive than than you guys realize. I think so. I, th I fully think so. You know, because when I, that's the vibe I got from her when I spoke to her on the phone, she felt so connected. Mm. That's the best way I can describe it. Like very connected, very aware. Yeah. You know, and I think the people I've met where I get that vibe from them, they are very tuned in. Yeah. And it's funny, I think she's always kind of shunned any kind of spiritual belief mm. or understanding or she's always shunned it because i think in the in the environment she was raised in was like a very kind of hard business minded like you know my grandfather was a you know was a very 
kind of mafioso type business guy. And I think if you would have started talking about ghosts and that kind of stuff around him, he would have just like lofted you to kingdom come. Well, it's also, I mean, I've, I've talked about that before because it's, we have a bias of, um, our biases come into play so much with the afterlife or whatever the stuff is. Yeah. And both. Um, so you have people's biases when it comes to believing, but you also have people's biases when it comes to not believing. And, you know, you think about like the beginning of how all of this kind of came into more pop culture with the Fox sisters and even Harry Houdini, who he was out to prove prove everybody wrong. And so it's interesting kind of this, these polarizing ideas that it's either 100% real in the afterlife or it's not and it's all bullshit and it's like i i'm always like there's something in the middle i think both totally (laughs) like you know we got to be open because something is happening to people um and even like you know the psychics we've worked with on the show we're really selective about who we bring in yep and i know even like michelle and cindy and and uh sarah or chris or tim whoever you know, we get those messages of they're fakes. Why do you work with them? And I'm like, there, there's such this idea that because one psychic is a fake that all of them are and they're not. Like I am yeah. telling you, there is something going on with these people. And Michelle's reading in here and I, people will say, well, Trans Allegheny, you've been there, Katrina. You must have told her. Mich- didn't tell her shit. When Michelle and I talk, we rarely talk about ghosts or ghost hunting. It's just because we're friends. So yeah. it's like, like when you and I talk, like we're not like ghosts. Like yeah. it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, have you seen this meme? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's the same thing. And it's also Michelle, specifically her, she keeps her head in the sand when it comes to locations because she knows that she'll probably, she might be called to one. Yeah. And she's not into it. It's like what we were talking about earlier or on another episode about watching the shows and not watching the shows because they feel like work. It's the same thing. Yeah. And her reading, in that room picking up on Dean's murder, how it happened. I think they cut it out of the episode, but she was like up and down, up and down. Yeah. Like uh, somebody raising a body and she's like, I feel it, it's right next to me. And the detail she got from that. And even before we go into the room where she's picking up on the wall colors, she's like, there's a room here I need to go into. And it was one of the two rooms that Rebecca was trying to figure out Jane's death she's like i know it was one of these yes and michelle is like i need to be here and it was exactly one of the rooms rebecca was debating yeah you know there's just something going on i don't know what else to tell people totally. it's like yeah. they are the real deal it, it's so true yeah and, and you know it's like you know when you're with a real like someone who's tapped in and we, we were talking about this earlier but before we, we sat down but it's like they're tap they're they're receiving well, you described it best. It's like they're tapped into some kind of quantum internet. Yeah, that's and how I always view it. It's some sort of internet in the sky <laughs> that they are able, they have like their own little search engine. Yeah. And they tap into it and they get information. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's pretty powerful stuff. I mean, just all of it, you know. And when you have these moments of, you know, when you witness something and you experience it firsthand, it's, it's, it changes it changes you it yeah. really does because you're like the, the i'm i'm experiencing something out of the norm and it's kind of cannot be explained and it's but i'm it's it's 
really happening and there's witnesses to it. It's not just me. It, you know, it, it has it being investigating as much as I've investigated over the last five years has certainly changed my perspective on things. Where were you when you started versus where you are now? You know, and it, 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 for me, it was more about when I first started ghost hunting professionally, we'll call it. Uh, it was more about I just want to get something on tape. I just mm. that that was my drive. I just want to get it on tape. I just want to I want evidence. I want evidence. And the longer I've done it, the more it's become about a, a more kind of deeper um, uh, the reason the, the why is deeper. Mm. It's about for me. It's about kind of understanding what it is mm. more so, um, and it's about experiencing it more. Like I don't necessarily care if I get it on camera or not. It's not. It's not a priority for me. I mean, yes, it makes for a great episode, and it usually means I can go to bed earlier. Um, <laughs> but it. Uh, it's. It's about feeling. Um, I don't know. You just it. Like I have a level of serenity when it comes to the next phase of consciousness. Mm. You know, because it's like, well, I, this doesn't just end. Yeah, I've had enough experiences to where my belief is this doesn't the the it's not fade to black and that's it for eternity. That's interesting. So it's changed you on a lot of different levels. Yeah. Then. How about you? When I started, it was very much a thing of like, I know ghosts are real. You can't tell me otherwise. And like that cocky little attitude yeah. about it, um, because, you know, you grow up having experiences and um through media and books and movies and whatever it is you think you know what it is and that's very much how I entered the field and uh, I feel very very fortunate how I was trained because we worked directly one-on-one -on -one with clients and it became evident very early on how many nuances go into how somebody experiences some something and how we color our experiences based off of our inner world and our understanding of the world. Yeah. And so then it was this, like it, it very early dropped of, I, I'm not out to prove anything. I just, I know something's happening, but I don't know what that something is. Mm -hmm. And even if it ends up all being psychological, still something. So what is that? Can we document it? And it's also a thing of, I think it's important to document the stories and what people say, because it is part of being human. Like these stories go back thousands of years of people having uh, some sort of spiritual experience. Um, and those are documented. So it's, it's interesting because it is very much part of us being human. Um, but I, has it changed my perception of death? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think this is it. I yeah. do think there's something left of us. What that is, I don't know. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, it's funny. I I always use this ex the example of like, okay, I've got four kids. I love those kids. It, it's in, You can't even put a, a measure on it. It's mm. beyond measure. And, but it's, it's a true, true feeling, a true deep feeling. So you're telling me that that real thing vanishes when I die? Yeah. Like that, I don't know. I just, I think that that's, I think that's ignorant. Mm. It's also, it's, it, yeah, it just feels right. It's like, no, this is a real thing. And it, you can't quantify it. 
but I know it's there. I know it's real. I know, like, I feel it. I know my kids feel it. Yeah. And that can't just disappear when the, you know, the electric between my ears, you know, fizzles mm. out. That can't just vanish because it doesn't live there. Yeah. It lives somewhere else. I agree with you. I, there's something. Yeah. Something that lasts. Especially, like, I mean, do you, who do you think we were communicating with that night? I don't know. You know, a part of me goes, okay, is it some... Is it an interdimensional being that just happens to be mm. there? Is it some, um, are we creating it through our consciousness? You know, are we making, are we putting so much kind of thought? Is, is there so much thought power in that building to where it's created this energy which people perceive as a ghost? Yeah. Uh, what's the term for that? It's, creating uh, a haunting? Yeah, creating, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's... The, oh, psychokinetic yeah, energy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, psychokinetic yeah. energy. And so it's, uh, I don't know, you know, or is it an alien? You know, are ghosts aliens? Oh, you and I, I think, are going to get deep into that on the next episode. I think so. Because I believe that there is a connection. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I think I... I feel the more I do this is that there is some kind of cosmic connection to it. Yeah. yeah. You know, there is something we don't know. And the only way I think we're ever going to find out is if someone figures out how to wait, make a lot of money out of it. Or we keep making television shows. <laughs> yeah. And then we, and then we strike, we, we figure it out. We strike gold. Yeah. 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 We keep making more episodes of portals to hell. Yep. Oh man. Oops. Well, should we wrap up some trans Allegheny? We should. All right. Well, uh, guys, that was uh, a, a long tangent, but uh, a tangent nonetheless of uh, our experience at Trans Allegheny. Um, you can uh, find this podcast uh, on YouTube. Uh, if you find it on YouTube, please like and subscribe. It's also anywhere where you can listen to podcasts. Uh, and where can people watch Portals to Hell? Uh, you guys can watch seasons one, two, and three of Portals to Hell on Discovery+. Plus. And uh, Katrina, where can people find you and the content you're making? If you guys want to check out Travel the Dead, that is the YouTube show I do with my very best friend, Miss Heather Taddy. And that is on my YouTube channel, at Katrina Weidman, or YouTube.com backslash Katrina Weidman. Um, and yeah, in the next episode, I think we're going to dive into the Strawberry River Inn. So uh, that should be dropping in the next week or two. And until next time, folks, have a good one. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.